By the way, have you heard of the Boonfly Cafe? I, I Apple, saw you at an interview. It's on the Carneros Highway. Um, it's uh, real easy to get to, and they've got a fantastic brunch. That will not go in. And <laughs> <laughs> it will. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> in one version, it will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everyone ready? Good. Get your drinks. Yeah. Is that a Lego Technics? Porsche or something? What is that? The Lego Technics Ferrari 458 racing ah. edition. And the reason it's here is I've just built, I've just built, I, for my 40th, I got the Lego Bugatti Technic set, yeah, which is the biggest set I've ever built. And, it, and it's meant that this has had to move up here because it's the only place I've got because the That's Bugatti it. is now where this was in my house. So um, I'm now running out of places to store my lego builds which may mean that i can't get another one for christmas but yeah, right. i'll probably still ask for one anyway. yeah um i have I've, I've amassed in my youth quite a large lego collection which i bequeathed to my children right and right. all this stuff um and it, it irritates me every time i see them playing with it because it's like that's that's not the bucket that that piece goes in right <laughs> it's a it's a gray wing from a spacecraft it goes in this bucket it does don't mix everything up i'm sure that tells an awful lot about your insights and into your personality <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, red red <laughs> yeah Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I am Chris Lockhart. Today, we have uh, Oliver Cronk, Wendy Keene, and special guest, Andrew Tanner. Um, Andrew, um, his background is in consulting. He's done some work previously with Oliver. And uh, so I'm sure we'll, we'll get to some really good stories about Oliver back in the day. Um, but you know, at the moment, you know, he's really invested in a lot of sort of that change consulting leadership, uh, really people centric, um, and that's really what has led us to our topic today, which is really trying to get to an understanding of you know what what are some good indicators of success for consulting, and and looking at it from two sides, right, guys? It's it's the you know if I'm a consultant, what what are the types of things that from a skill perspective that I want to emote, right, and and measure myself against. And then of course, from the business perspective and really crucially right now, when we continue to have a labor crunch uh, globally, right. And finding the right skills and the right resources. If I'm a, if I'm a consultancy, how do I identify the skills that I want to have in my consultancy and how do I measure against that? How do I sort of predict almost right. Whether or not a hire is going to be a good fit in terms of skills, in terms of personality, in terms of all of those things. So, and, and Andrew, that's why we brought, you here today. So, I mean, if you could give us just sort of the, the two minute, hi, I'm Andrew Tanner, and here's what I know about this topic, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you for throwing that one over the wall. Um, so, I'm, I, I do mind maps as we talk, so I'm scribbling stuff down. Um, I think there's something about 
the market, knowing what on earth skills the market is and therefore how you match up and being honest with yourself. So maybe honesty is a quality. Maybe reflection and self-analysis is, is uh, to a degree is useful. Um, I, I think, you know, maybe before that is knowing your market, knowing what your offer is. And in broad terms, you know, for me, that will be around people development, every aspect of people development and transformation and change. Um, and I can do pretty much anything in that realm or organization development realm. However, that's quite a broad brush to claim, and most people don't do that. So what I need to be is focused on which of the package of skills and experience I have I'm going to market myself on a particular role for. Um, and you know that is often quite hard because people come to you wanting something. Um, but part of the thing with being a consultant is you know that may not be what they actually need. And so there's no point when they say, can you do this, jumping up and down saying, me, 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 when actually they may want something else. And the first touch point with you where you ask them some really good open questions may actually help define what you want to offer, not the first contact. Yeah, so, so I think they're in there, what's in summary? One is know your market. Two is know yourself, and then it's almost don't make assumptions. Um, and from for many contracts, that's not for all contracts. For many contracts, um, you know, you're a coach and consultant at the same time as well. Right. Right. Well, that does it. Thank you very much. Uh, we have the summary. <laughs> let's let's pick that apart a little bit. Like, if we think about, well, let's let's start with the con the consultant and. Maybe that's sort of self-reflecting, kind of like you were saying, like the branding or like how do I how do I promote myself yeah. or present myself? But like, what are the skills that are just like like? And I know consulting is a very broad broad area, right? But if we think about consulting versus you know working in a cubicle for a Fortune five hundred company or something like that, right? What what are the skills that are useful, generally speaking, in, in consulting, both from a consultant's perspective and then from the consultancy's perspective. I mean, I, I, Wendy, I don't know. You're you're always big on you know some of these these things that I am not good at articulating. So I'm hoping you can help me with this one. Well, um, you know, I I think there's um, I think you you nailed it with the general skills, right? Because there's what I'll call subject matter knowledge, competency, expertise, experience, but then there's those general skills. And I think that's where we really get the differentiation in, 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 um, in a consultant. So things like the ability to learn quickly, the ability to synthesize, and the ability to sort of turn around immediately and use that. I mean, we, we'll sort of joke about, I just read this last night and I synthesized it, but there is a real skill that I think is a, a big differentiator. And separate but related is um, solid communication, uh, verbally, be able to simplify the complex and draw visuals and bring people together, the ability to facilitate sort of written communications, ability to influence. And, and along with that, there's this, this savviness, there's a sharpness, a quickness on your feet. So I think those are all like the real differentiators for, for a consultant. From, from the consultancy's perspective, though, isn't it Maybe maybe I'm being a little jaded. Isn't it your ability to get billable? <laughs> right? like, I, don't, I don't care what all of those skills are, right? Be billable. That's really all I give a crap about. I mean, is, yeah. is that too cynical, Oliver? Um, 
<laughs> I don't think it's that far removed. I mean, I, I, when you said that, I started thinking about the resource allocation managers and, and similar that I've sort of seen and worked with who were literally just tasked with coming up with matrices of skills and capabilities in the people and trying to match those to the kind of engagements and, and proposals going out the door. So, yeah, I, I think there's a degree to which someone is sort of flexible and broad in their kind of capability as a consultant versus quite deep in subject matter uh, you know, expertise. And I really like what Wendy was saying about um, just-in-time learning effectively, being able to pick up things super, super quickly or, or just quicker than the client, right? Uh, you, you read, you've read a couple of chapters ahead of where the client is in, in, in the manual on if it's, if it's technology and it's new emerging technology. I remember that was often the case was, right, let's just make sure we know a bit more about machine learning and AI than the client does. That's me being a little bit cynical. I mean, that, 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 that's probably quite unfair. But, oh, but, but I, hold I, on, there's something there, right? Which is, you know, still working on the slide deck while it's being presented. I don't know. If you're, <laughs> right. you're, on, you're on slide 45 updating uh, while, they're, yeah. while they're going through the, the intro, right? And it's like, holy shit, I got to get this done fast. Collaboration tools, you know, online collaboration tools have been amazing for that, right? And I, ha I haven't, I, ha I never saw it externally, but for internal meetings, there was, that was definitely going on. Um, yeah, I, th I think sort of the ability to communicate is super important and yeah, kind of create compelling slides and visuals like when you were saying. So no, I, I massively echo what Wendy was saying. But I think the other piece of this is, yes, there are the kind of, you know, kind of interpersonal skills and um, the consulting sort of skills. But then I think there are also um, empathy and uh, listening skills, which I think is super, super important. It's, it's knowing when to use, you know, your ears and when, you know, when, when to sort of talk, when to shut up, when to kind of let the client you know, talk to you about what the problem is rather than sort of jump to solutioning too soon. So I think there is a, I think perhaps this taps into the savviness that Wendy was talking about, the kind of knowing when you need to absorb and when you need to kind of show that, you know, the, the firm has expertise in this area. So it's certainly not a one size fits all. And there's a lot of dimensions to this, but yeah. So th things like the ability to read the room. So I accept everything everybody said. And, and Wendy gave a brilliant uh, answer that I wish I'd given. Um, um, there's something also, or a couple of other things. One is, um, it's not about you and some consultants think it's about them and it's absolutely not about them. Um, and the other bit is you've actually got to deliver some stuff now, whatever that is. So out of all this package of things, you've got to get something over and you've got to let the client know, and you've got to let them know it fits their needs or whatever, however, those needs have moved over the time of the piece of work. So there's some real basic things that you must do alongside all these sort of the, the broad range of school skills in your toolkit that you want to have the judgment to bring the right ones out at the right time, how and when to use them. You know, and, you know, living in, you know, what we like to think is a meritocracy, right? And it's like, I, I can go learn anything and I can, I can learn skills and I can retrain and I can do all the, some of these things it sounds like are not necessarily learnable, right? Or they're, you might be able to imitate some of these things, but some of these things, like there's just some of these people, they're just really good at that one thing. And there's just no way that you're ever going to learn to be as good as they are at shaking hands or whatever it is. Right. And I don't know, is that, is that true? Are these all learnable things? I, I, my take on this is there are certainly some things that naturally fit certain people and their personality types and how they perhaps work with others. 
will work on their own. You know, are they a kind of analytical person? I mean, perhaps this starts to talk to frameworks, which I know we were probably going to touch on. But for me, um, you know, I, I spent the first part of my career as a programmer, you know, and I have to say, I could talk to other technologists, but I couldn't really have a conversation with a business person very well. Very well. But, and I recognized that, you know, in the first sort of five, six years. Of- Sorry, <clears throat> was it like also women that you couldn't have a conversation with? Or is it like... <laughs> We'll cut, we'll cut that bit out. Brutal, brutal. Did you have a pocket protector? Did you have a pocket protector for your pens? Like, you know like what? A Dilbert, a Dilbert character? Come on. I, um, I, I actually met my wife at uni. So this is post-uni. So actually, <laughs> you, I wasn't long off being married by this point. But, but anyway. You checked that box fine. ahead of time. Anyway, sorry. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. We'll take a beat um, and then go. No, no, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> you see what I have to do with Andrew. This is why I like to get. You'd think that I'd invite someone from my network, and you know, Chris would behave himself. Yeah, anyway. no. Um, the other being, way, being, just, being robust under torture and uh, yes, things like definitely that helps. Definitely well. helps with podcasts as well. Yeah, um, yeah not blinking. So I, I, I think. Certain people, it comes naturally. Certain styles, certain personality types suit certain roles better. I think the example I have is that when I started off my career, I was far more analytical. So I was a programmer. I was very task-focused, very task-oriented. And it was only sort of after sort of figuring out that I didn't really want to be a programmer all my career that I actually needed to develop other sides of myself. So the, um, the kind of insights profile at the time um, had colors. And uh, I came out, I think, as very blue, which is analytical. And after that, red, um, a bit yellow, so creative was the yellow color. And then green was almost non-existent, which is the empathy with other other people, which was quite bad, quite shocking. You know, I thought I knew it all. I thought I was the smartest programmer ever. And it was no wonder I wasn't really getting on well with stakeholders. Anyway, so I I then spent probably five years really sort of focusing on knowing, getting to know myself better and and, and sort of self-improvement to the point where when I did an insights profile sort of more recently, the colors are completely different. Right, it's uh, empathy is probably still my smallest one. I'm quite headstrong, uh, but but that's risen quite a lot. The analytical has gone down massively. I mean, I can use that attribute if I have to, but I'm far more red and far more yellow these days. So far more creative and far more, um, and that that's the progression from going through you know, from being a programmer to being an architect and then a sort of technology leader and a leader of sort of technologists. Um, and so it is possible to to change some of these. Uh, characteristics, but you've got to recognize that you've got gaps. And I think where most people struggle is they mm. don't sort of self-reflect effectively. Mm. Um, and they struggle with that self-awareness and self-understanding you know, to go, do you know what? I might be knocking out the park in terms of my deliverables, but actually my interpersonal or my communication really needs work. And so I was quite fortunate in that my, my, my parents were teachers and they kind of you know, instilled lifelong learning into me. I think other people that may be thrust into certain professions or certain career paths maybe have a more fixed sort of mindset in terms of what they're able to do. And, and if they're a consultant, maybe they think, yeah, I can do financial consultancy, but there's no way I could do something that's more creative. Yeah. And let's let's talk about that for a second, right? And then the, you know, so it's one thing, okay, I've got skills, I've got something, I, I need some methodology to sort of measure uh 
current state, right? And improvement and like all these different things. You know, let's talk about some of these frameworks because I had also taken the the color one that you're talking about. I forget which which one that is. Is that Insights? Is that the one that that is? Yeah, Insights is the one yeah. I'm most familiar with. Right. And, you know, I know there are others, right? Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about that. What are what are some of the ways in which, let's take it from a consultancy point of view. How do you How do you measure how do you assess and measure your consultants for where they are and give them you know, feedback on things that need to improve? And the one that always comes to mind, right, is exactly what you said, Oliver. You know, yes, you're the smartest guy in the room, but you have an inability to communicate any of that to anybody. And as a result, you may have the you may have solved cancer in your head, but you can't communicate it. It's irrelevant, right? Kind of thing. So let's talk about how do companies make those assessments? How do they measure their people? What are some of the tools that are used? So, Andrew, you've been in this space for quite a while. I imagine you've seen all of the tools of the trade. So, I mean, I think there's a difference with, a, you know, you can have an internal consultant, can't you, where the relationship and responsibility to them, for them, is different to an external one. So somebody who has the cure for cancer but just can't get it out of their head ultimately is useless. If you can't get it out of their head. And, you know, I worked one company with a guy, you know, on our HIPOP program, Harvard MBA, not modest about it. Um, um, also on the no, HIPOP None of them program. are, by the way. No, no I, I'm not. I know. Um, and, um, you know, with our VP and director, um, HIPOPs. And, um, you know, just gradually you could see his colleagues um, peel off as he irritated. And he actually did that to the board because he knew better than the board, um, you know, and, and that didn't end well for him. Um, in spite of copious feedback, coaching, um, come to Jesus conversations, um, you know. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's best that somebody recognizes this is their box and they're great at it. And that's fine. Now, for us, we might think, well, hell, we're working for 30 years. Often talks about transformation. Yeah, I can't do this for thirty years. Just do this one thing over and over. Um, I've got a friend who, um, you know, when I set up my business, he thought I was a nut, which he could well be right. But he, his thing was, he he set up um, finance offices in different offices around Europe. And that's what he did. Everyone identical, and he said that was tremendous change and variety for him. And to me, that was no variety at all. And no learning, you know. And so I think there's a whole bunch of stuff. Okay, so let's go back to the case in point. So how do we identify the skills we need, and how do we give feedback on it? Well, you know, one of the questions you just asked was, is it all about billable hours? So when your billable hours run out because your behaviours aren't appropriate or effective, that's a bit of feedback, and we've seen that, haven't we? And that actually is quite a heavy sort of things take on board and sometimes people do sometimes they don't well and um, it's, it's also it's also sort of retrospective right you know it's like yeah. it's not predictive <laughs> it's yeah. damn i just got thrown off this account um that's not good what happened how do i fix that right you know and i think some of these frameworks are, are trying to predict right like hey um here's your personality type so the logic of it is that, well, we know the logic. The, the logic is that the, the organization ought to have um, come up with a notion of what the key skills and attributes are. And most, you know, some of these tests, um, 
some of the tests will give you information about skills, whether it's communication, whether it's numeracy, whether it's um, analytical thinking, and so on. Others will be more about personality. We talked about insights, MBTI, the Hogan suite, those sort of things. Um, and, you know, so they're test, they're assess- So some are testing and some are more of an assessment. Now, you would argue that all of them are moments in time. And the assumption in them being future focused is that as this moment in time you've assessed as X, you will behave as X in future. That's the assumption it's making. Now, the thing you're not taking into account is, is this situation, people are moving into a new environment and a new context and way of, a way of working, in which case, you know, are they just a sort of a, this is a hammer and a nail, or can they actually become a different sort of tool? So that's a question. Um, the another question is like how honest organizations are in actually choosing the tools to use and understanding how to use them well and use them appropriately. So let's think about that. So Wendy, right? You, in your business architecture business, business architecture business, um, how do do you use any of these tools? What, what, what are the mechanisms that you, because, you know, there's one, it's different between, I don't know, let's just say Deloitte, right. And like, you know, a smaller company uh, where maybe you can personally engage and you don't need a test because you are, you know, engaging face-to-face with somebody as opposed to we're processing 18,000 applications, you know, a, you know, a quarter. And oh, by the way, 18,000 terminations a quarter, right? That, that sort of turn, right? There's a difference between that and sort of what you do. Do you use these tools or are you using your, your gut, your intuition? No, I really do. And um, I actually think back to when I was running a, a, a practice of 100 people, this was this is actually near and dear to my heart. And, and we we really immersed in this. So, um, Andrew, I like what you said there, because I really think there's there's two sides of this. Right. One is I'll just generally call the competencies, which could be in our case, business architecture competencies is the area of expertise, as well as things like creativity, empathy, communication, et cetera. But, but on the other side, there's, um, there's those, those personalities. And we did use those tools. Um, I mean, I've used a number of them. I've used, um, you know, some of the simpler ones, Clifton Strengths. Um, and and I, we use them a little bit differently. Um, the competency, we had a specific competency model. And we had, if this is your role, this is kind of it where we expect you to be, this level. Everybody had self-driven uh, performance assessments. And then where they had gaps or areas where they wanted to grow, they were specifically driving against that um, the competency plan. But how we use the personality side of things like a Clifton Strengths is... Um, is is more for team building and for growing people and for putting together teams right and and i've always been of the you know cuz you can you can like bond with people, but you can also get polarized. You're a red, you're a great, right? So we were always like, what's your collection of strengths? And how do we put together a team that not only allows people to play to their strengths, but also do what makes them happy? Because someone loves to be in front of the room and someone loves to be, you know, creating the stuff in the background. So I think those are kind of fit for purpose. 
Um, and I'll just give one more framework as an example. Um, there's a newer one from, it's called uh, Working Geniuses. And like, I like to use that one because it shows who, when I think strategy to execution, who are kind of the upfront ideating people, who are the activators in the middle, and who are the people that are actually going to move it into action. And then we can sort of knit those people together into a team. I uh, absolutely agree in terms of using it for individual and group development, team effectiveness, those sort of things. You obviously use that an awful lot. Um, I think the, the, the challenge, you know, part of the question is, is so if you're hiring an external consultant to work on a project, it could be a change project, it could be something developmental, it could be to introduce a new tool or process, then, you know, you're going to assess them differently to how you would be working with your perm hires um longer term contracts and uh, and the teams so I, i've worked in um graduate recruitment where we brought well, in the old days brought hundreds of these poor grads into hotels in london and put them through tools uh, fed them and then kicked them out the next morning once we scored everything um you know and, and again there's an element of humanity we ought to be thinking about in this as well but so back at three where Oliver and I worked, um, um, we used um, the Hogan Development Survey for, um, for well, no, the board DR recruitment. So the Hogan Development Survey is uh, one of the suite that they have, but it looks at derailers. So when people are stressed or very relaxed, the poor behaviours that undermine their effectiveness. Now, um, I think that was the only tool we used. Um, and my insistence in that was that we briefed them on what the tool was, what it was assessing beforehand. And I did a debrief session before they went into the interview where that was used. Right. Because otherwise it was just setting them up to have the legs cut away. And, um, but where that tool was really, really useful, so you would, you would only really use that with people in senior roles, um, was the people that said, Oh yeah, you know what? You know, I do talk too much, or you know, my EQ isn't as great as you want. But but this is what I do about it. To those people, you give them you know extra points, figuratively, you know. And the ones that say, "Well, when I'm upset and doing my way, I'm very loud and shouty." No, that's not me. I would never do that. And you go, "Aha, right." And there is a hunt. There was, and probably over half a dozen hires that I was involved with, a 100% return on those different approaches. So the ones who denied it got bounced. The ones who, you know, the ones who accepted it at least got better feedback. You know, so for me, the purpose for this is it's when I, you know, you talk to people about a particular tool and they sort of want to know, well, are you going to give me a badge? All that conversation we had. Is it just a label? You know, what if I don't have the right badge? Um, you distinguish between skills assessments and personality questionnaires. And I always, always say something on the lines of, this is about increasing your self-awareness and giving you choice about how you use that information. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you, right? Because, I, you know, my personal experience in large consultancies, um, I think, uh, well, I'll name them, right? I think uh, Booz and Company did a really good job at, at at providing that sort of 360 feedback kind of thing, right? Honest feedback 
from everyone to everyone sort of thing. Right. And, and, you know, there's, there's that bit, right. Where it's like, you talk too much, you don't talk enough. It's like, really, that's interesting. Cause I thought you talked too much or didn't yeah. talk. Right. And so it's, it, you know, and you, you have an actual conversation as opposed to getting a score that says you're green and, you know, you're, you're a visionary, not a leader, or you're this, or you're that, or you're, you're in this box and you can't get out. Um, and so, you know, I wonder, you know, there's, a, there's almost like a, you know, like a Stanford prison experiment aspect to this, right. Where it's like, there's, you know, it's situational, right. In other words, if you're cast in the role of the prison guard, you begin to exhibit certain behaviors, right. Then if you're, if you're the prisoner. And so I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, Andrew, right. That it's, it, Oh, I see a dog. We've got a dog in the, that's... I'm just going to have to let him out, but I'll be, yeah. no, no, it's he, he's like, let me out. I got to go. <laughs> this, is, this is Doogie. And what it's worth, he's just farted horribly as well. Fantastic. That's always a key sign. Let him out. Yeah. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Has this ever happened before? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not sure. Well, um, doesn't Phil Phil's uh, dog chewed through the cable, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he's got little little dogs, little yip yip dogs, right? Yeah. yeah. They eat through the cables. Um Goodbye. And so I thought like what you were saying earlier about sort of that, you know, uh, external stimulus, right? The context matters, right? In, in, in how people react and how people behave. And so it, it makes me often wonder, you know, and any, anyone take this up, right? How effective really are some of these frameworks, some of these tools, both from like a self-awareness perspective, but also if, if I've got a thousand employees and I'm trying to figure out who to put on project X and I'm, I'm running my consultancy, Right. Um, you know, I don't want to look at a hundred or a thousand bios. Right. So I need some effective means to say this person really knows how to speak to clients and I really need them on, on this project. How, how effective, I guess, are these frameworks? Yeah. I think it depends on your attitude towards them. Right. I think there are a lot of people that are rather cynical, I guess, about how effective they can be. And I think for me, as I said earlier, what was really helpful was getting the first report back on my personality and my um, preferences, because I up until that point, and I think this is you know probably the early noughties, it just wasn't really. I'd never really had that kind of conversation with anyone. You know, the, the conversations that people had with me is oh, Oliver on that project on that engagement. Um, you know, you did you did you know great work. You hit the deadlines. It was it was a great solution that you delivered for the customer. It was never. Oh yeah, Oliver. Here's here's someone kind of almost doing a bit of a psychological kind of analysis of your preferences and how you work with others and all this sort of stuff. And I, you know, for me that was really kind of game changing. But other people, I think they see it and they go, Do you know what? That's not important. What's important is the point we were making we were making earlier about billable hours. Are they billable? You know, if they're ninety percent plus percent, you know, utilized and billable, I'm happy with them. Um, I don't really care about this other sort of dimension, you know, set of dimensions I've got. Um, but I guess it depends, doesn't it, on the nature of the engagements and the nature of the work, um, for sure. And I do think you're right that, um, you know, it's it's how we look at these. Uh, let's talk about the personality test, right? It, it's how we look at them because you're, you're sort of reminding me that, um, 
some people can look at them as a further set of boxes, again, as a way to affinitize with people or say, I'm different than you. And, and I think that's actually where it does become unhelpful. Um, because I think the reason why we put those on the cubicles and share those things are so that we can understand when to lean on each other or how to appreciate different uh, personality traits or, or abilities in different people. So I also think the right mindset around it is really important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, what I got out of it was Lockhart's red. So don't go and talk to him. Right. You know, and it's like, that's not what it is. It's, it's when you're engaging with someone, know who you are and know who they are and try to, you know, it's the love language. thing. Right? It's like, empathize. How yeah, do I speak to this person? Right. Yeah. So, so the Hogan stuff um, I used with my team at three and we all did it. Um, and we shared the results and all that stuff. And, you know, what we were able to do is if you were stressed and, you know, a few of the dark side behaviors going to pop out, you could say, I'm just having a dark side moment. And the, basically the team knew that for me, it'd be one of three things. And, and actually that forgave me, well, forgave, well, it's not forgiveness or permission, but it just meant that I needed two, three minutes to get my equilibrium back. And it might be that I just needed you know, a five-minute chat just to talk through what had gone on, you know, um, that sort of thing. Or it might be that I would see it in someone else and I would recognise, me, they're not normally this passive-aggressive. What's going on, you know? And I can think about that would help me determine my approach to them and what and when and how, you know. So I think that um, what that requires is... So it works in a team because you have a culture in a team that you, you know, encourage, support, promote, you know, have expectations that this is what you'll do. And if you're honest, then you can say, well, hang on, was that just a Hogan thing? Because, you know, and they can say, yeah, actually, yeah, I was really fed up and this is what happened. So, so I think, you know, there's a lot to do with culture. I, I, I would hate to, you know, so I've worked in, like, you know, big US offices with all the cubicles. I, I would feel slightly nauseous with all those badges everywhere. Um, I think that's inherently risky, you know, and um, it's, uh, so, well, we're way past 1984, but, you know, that sort of stuff. Are we? <laughs> well, in terms of years, we are, yeah. But do you know what, Andrew, the, the one thing I remember about three that I thought was really, really fantastic was the no, check-in. Just, Oliver, three is a mobile... A, a, a telecoms network, yeah. a mobile phone network. It's the mm-hmm. number four. Um, it's a, like a challenger mobile mobile network. Yeah. Um, and they're called three, named after 3G. Gotcha. Um, uh, 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 we, people did wonder whether they would name themselves four when 4G came out and five when five, but so far mm-hmm. it's not happened, right? Uh, anyway, um, the thing I, I loved about three and the culture, which I thought was fantastic, was this concept of a check-in before every meeting. So before you actually got down to business and discussed the topic of the meeting, you were encouraged, and this, this was from all levels, from the top and, and all the way across the organization, to check in on how you were feeling, how you were doing. So to Andrew's point, are you, are you actually having a really bad day for personal reasons, like you've got stuff going on at home and it's distracting you? Or... Have you got, you know, an operational incident that your team is dealing with that, you know, is, is causing you stress or, you know, are, are, you, are you just distracted or whatever? And it was just fantastic because it just helped you to understand what was going on, you know, with the personalities you were dealing with in the room. And I just thought it was so, it was such a healthy thing 
for the mm-hmm. company to encourage people to do that. And I've, do you know what, I've tried to bring elements of that to other organizations. And it's when people get on board with it, it works really, really well. But people have gone, wow, where did you get this from? And I have to say, you know what? I, did, I didn't invent this. I've just borrowed it from somewhere else. But it was a really, it was one of the great bits of the, as well as the innovation and the passion that was, you know, that, that three has, it was, it was that element of the culture that I really, really respected and liked. I, I agree. But I think the, the, the thing with the organization culture is you need to sort of really embed this stuff. And at three, one of the greatest things was, as Oliver said, from the top down. And, you know, again, maybe another piece of this is, so we lost, I can't remember how many people we'd have had in the top two, three layers, let's say a couple of hundred. We lost 40% of them in the first year in order to build that different way of working. Wow. I, d- I joined after that happens. So that I didn't know that. That's really interesting. So many of these things and, you, you know, anything you see on LinkedIn or anything like that, it's like, if you just do this training on how to be a project manager, everyone will know instantly how to, or how to be an architect, right? Or how to do this, or how to do that. And certainly, you know, when it comes to these sorts of things, which what we're really talking about is human to human communication and psychology, right? And empathy and EQ. I mean, none of that shit's taught in any of the schools that I've ever heard of or know. And I guarantee you they don't teach that in most of the MBA programs that are out there, right? Uh, so, so I guess, you know, what I'm really thinking here is, you know, if we look at like all the different types of consulting that there are, because you could look at like, for example, technical consulting, like, you know, Oliver, you were talking earlier. All I need to do is write this stuff for, you know, I'm just writing force.com code or whatever it is, right? I'm just doing the, I don't interact with clients. All I need to know, in fact, I don't even interact with the rest of my team, right? Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't need that that skill. I need, I need hardcore technical skills versus, you know, the flip side, strategy and advisory consulting. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know anything about that, right? But what I do need to be able to do is establish an emotional connection with my buyer, with my client, with my champion, whomever, which takes a, a sort of different set of skills. So I guess the question is, if you're running... Deloitte. Let's just pick on Deloitte today. If you're running Deloitte, right? How do you take a? How do you take these types of frameworks or these types of approaches and sort of apply them to you know your advisory people, your tax people, your technical people? Because they're all going to have sort of like different requirements, different skill needs, right? Is does it get super granular and hard to manage? So I, w- I won't specifically. Uh... I can either confirm or deny whether this is specifically about the firm you just mentioned, but I think, you know, what I have seen throughout my career is sort of matrices, right? And sort of various sort of frameworks that are specific to the organization that, and I get a public, public referenceable example of this is BCS, a British computer society that I've been a member of for, for many, many years, has a fantastic sort of hard skills framework. But also in that hard skills framework, it has some of the other dimensions, the EQ, the kind of empathy and the the other aspects of that. And I think the only way I've seen this work in a very large organization is to have various sort of, you know, intersections of hard skill and soft skill. To your point that for technical consultants, we need people that are very analytical, very good at coding, you know, communication. Perhaps we can tolerate someone who is less capable at comms. And to your point, advisory, tax, whatever, you know, there's essentially just different dimensions that you flex accordingly. And then when you look at resourcing a project, like we were saying earlier, you would just look to, um, you know, assign work 
as close as possible to that sort of skills framework and that matrix. So, uh, Wendy, I see you nodding. I'm guessing that was similar when you were in the large consulting sort of work. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Um, and then all of that is the, the personality side I found is kind of the the add on. Then it's like, is there the right fit here or how do I create the right chemistry with this client and this person or with this team? So very well said. And it's it's all about, you know, managing that, uh, for, for lack of a better word, sort of that that inventory across the firm and then just kind of knowing what applies for what offering or what practice or things. So very well said. And, and I said all the stuff earlier, but actually reality is it's still massively overridden by the internal network. So if someone is just a favorite consultant or, you know, a, a favorite senior manager or whatever of a partner, then that, then that whole framework goes out the window because for my best friend client, I will make sure I have my A-team on that. Um, and, and maybe for something that I know the profit margin isn't as good on, I'm going to put some of my more junior people on it. So there is definitely, you know, all these systems get bastardized, don't they, by essentially human dynamics and preference. Well, you know, so much of what we talk about always comes back to that, right? Which is the emotional connection that human beings have with each other, which, you know, if you had asked me 20 years ago, does that have anything to do with consulting? I would have said no, <laughs> right? But it really, I mean, it really does because I know, Oliver, that you know about endpoint security better than anyone else. So, you know, I, I don't need to know what your Myers-Briggs results are, right? Kind of thing. Um, but, you know, so speaking, so that trust factor really is what it's about. And speaking of trust, I don't know if you've heard of the Boonfly Cafe uh, in Napa Valley. It's on the Sonoma Highway um, right down there. They have a wonderful brunch. In fact, I think you could describe it as casual California dining option with a lively vibe. You're, you are now going to have to put the YouTube contains paid promotion. Know, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No, that's only when they, it's only if they ever pay, which they never will. Uh, so, okay. So let's, let's take this, let's take this out and let's, you know, practically speaking, let, let's get some final thoughts here. For Phil, for the cats on the ground. The Absolutely. The ground. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I'm actually a big believer in these frameworks and I think they can be quite, uh, introspective and have a lot of useful insights um, and actionable insights with the right mindset um, where I don't think you should try to, to game them. I don't think you, I mean, I suppose you can game them, but I don't think that helps anybody to be honest. Um, but I do think to, to your point, you can learn things about yourself that either can, can help you show up or, or deal with things in your current environment better, or you may realize I'm actually a mismatch with what I'm doing right now. And maybe that's why I feel so, so unhappy. So I'm a big believer. And from that perspective as individuals, and then as also putting together teams and not forcing people, Oliver, I loved your story about the change and, but, but not forcing to be people to be good or bad in what they are or have to get somewhere else. It's, just all about, I think, leveraging what you are for, for the good of all, including yourself. Where you come completely unstuck, which I think is Wendy's point, is you can't fake it. You can, or you can only fake it for so long, and then the wheels come off, and it's actually dishonest and to the point we made about trust. You know, and what we're talking about in networks really is like a, a quicker way of gaining trust. So if somebody you know, you, you trust says, I trust them. They get extra points for trust, you know, and it's that sort of thing. So, so I think that these things definitely have a place. Um, um, 
But I think the root of it is in the self-awareness, the use of them to identify areas of strength and growth, and the honesty with which you take them. I that makes a lot of sense to me, um, Oliver. Yeah, I, I don't have much more to add to the Wendy and um, Andrew's points, except that I think I've been on a journey with these. I was very cynical of them, and I think I was very aspirational, shall we say, in how I answered some of the personality questions that I. Oh, I want to be confident in making decisions, and I, you know, want to be the person that people go to for so. And I kind of, I think the first time I perhaps did it, the result wasn't quite right because I was, you know, it was more about how I would like to be rather than. And actually, then I started to think, do you know what? That tells me something. That tells me that actually there are some areas in me, in my confidence, and in my, you know, perhaps soft skills is that a phrase that some people don't like. I know, but the interpersonal area where I need to go and do some work. And I think if you approach it with that right mindset, like I think Wendy uh, alluded to, you get something out of it. If, it's a bit like most things. If you approach it with cynicism, um, then, then, then yeah, it's, it's not going to work as well as, as well as it should. And I think for me, it's, a, it's, it's about creating data points on people in the team and how they can work together to be effective for the client, you know, that then support perhaps people's judgments and opinions on people's effectiveness. And to your point, Chris, about how much people trust members of the team can be kind of supported by some data points based on, you know, sort of assessments. And what I really like uh, I've seen in the past is where when people have done an engagement, there's everyone on the, on the project team evaluates everyone else and, and is encouraged to be constructive about everyone else's contribution. And those I think I've found throughout my career have been the most valuable sort of assessment metrics has been peers and managers and then, you know, people reporting up, like this 360 degree sort of reporting thing that sort of, and some of the questions like, would you give this person a pay rise? Would you always want this person on your team? Were like really cutting, but they forced you to go, do you know what? Yes, I would always want this person. Or do you know what? This person doesn't, doesn't isn't ready for the next level yet. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're good where they are. They're good at what they do, but they're not ready for a promotion. So some of that is really, really valuable uh, done in the right way. There's so much that can come off of this, right? You could, we could go down the road of talking about, you know, well, what are some traits that are characteristic of successful consultants, right? How, how could I predict those in either, you know, myself or someone else, right? We can, we can take this in a lot of different directions. So maybe that's uh, some future discussion there. Um, Andrew, thank you for joining us. And if I got this right, it's Summerhill Consulting. Is there a website? What's the website if people want to know more about what you do? Andrew Tanner Consulting. AndrewTannerConsulting.com. Excellent. Um, Well, listen, I appreciate it. Uh, Oliver, Andrew, Wendy, uh, I'm Chris Lockhart. Um, Everyone should go to the YouTube page and click like and subscribe. Um, and upcoming, maybe we'll have a TikTok channel. I don't know. You know? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, everybody. We'll see everyone. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Oliver. Bye.